Hi, Howie Hawkins. Welcome to KBOO. Thanks for having me. Howie Hawkins was the Green Party candidate for president in the last election, was to say it mildly, decisively defeated by Joseph Biden. Though on many, many issues, pollsters find a considerable majority of Democratic voters disagreed with Biden and agreed with Howie. Those issues include Medicaid for All that Biden opposed. The party's voters agreed with Howie on cuts in the military budget, not Biden. Howie supports a $15 minimum wage today. Biden wants a slow rise to 15. Howie sought to replace the police in many of their functions, replacing them with service and helping workers. Well, Biden called it defunding, which he refused to consider. So why then did so many progressives vote for Biden? Well, it's pretty obvious you had to vote Biden to avoid Trump. What's the way out of that trap? Well, this country needs a voting system that allows voters to uh, vote their preferences. Howie, the Greens, many others, Fair Vote, the organization, support what's called ranked choice voting. Every state and city in this country could adopt ranked choice for their elections. But that's not what Howie and I are going to discuss today. Because climate science warns us that we're accelerating into a grave crisis of global warming. All our corporate masterminds, they say, oh, they're just alarmists. In fact, climate science has been wrong over the last 40 years of more insistent warnings. They've been wrong in underestimating, however, the speed at which Judgment Day is approaching. Of course, Biden and his campaign has promised action, unlike Trump, who tried to roll back even very small steps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Biden, in his first 100 days, proposed what appears to be a very big budget. Post a $2 trillion program, it's called the American Jobs Plan. It's directed substantially to climate action. But when you look at it, it's spread over eight years, the $2 trillion, which is just $250 billion a year, which is about one-third of the yearly military budget that this country maintains. And much of it, like the military budget, is directed to the corporate apparatus. So, Howie, give us your general impressions, your overall evaluation of the Biden administration's job plan? Well, as a climate plan, it is really terrible. Why it's getting fanfare? Jobs, which is a big issue coming out of the COVID depression. And I don't really have a problem with selling climate action as a job creator. The problem is you look at the actual spending on climate within that $2.3 trillion, and it's only about $100 billion a year. That compares to what he promised during the campaign of $2 trillion over four years, which I still think is far below the scale we need to deal with this emergency. And then you look at the policies. They're terrible. They are pro-fossil fuels. Fracking will continue. They want to justify burning fossil fuels with carbon capture and storage, which is something that won't happen unless it's massively subsidized because carbon dioxide is basically worthless, and it's pro-nuclear power, which is a big failed industry, pro-waste incinerators, pro-industrial biofuels. And the way he sneaks that in is he has a what he calls a clean energy standard instead of the renewable portfolio standards that many states have adopted, which focus on wind, solar, clean geothermal, energy efficiency, and those kinds of things. And he adds in all these dirty energy sources that produce carbon. So he's grandfathering them in. You might ask, did he get anything right? Well, the biggest climate investment is in electric vehicles. Sounds like it's big in scale, 500,000 charging stations in the next decade. But the analysts who look at that say we need 10 million. And then 
take housing. He says we're going to retrofit 2 million buildings for efficiency and heat pumps instead of fossil fuels to heat them. And you break that down, that's 250000 a year. There are 120 million buildings in the country. That's 480 years to complete the program. That kind of shows that this is really not that serious as a climate action plan. You know, I've looked at previous years, the Army Intelligence Unit, because there are projections of threats to the United States. I think it's every two years. They're enormously alarmist, in fact. In one of its scenarios, they think in the early 2030s, a global food catastrophe caused by climate events and environmental degradation prompts bottom-up revolutionary change. Polly, discuss a little bit with us why, in fact, being alarmist is being actually practical and quite reasonable. Yeah, it's being realistic. That U.S. National Intelligence Council report that just came out in March is what refers to that global food catastrophe. You know, we shouldn't wait another decade before we're facing mass starvation and massive social unrest, possibly wars over water and food. It's a call to action. I mean, we've always used the analogy of the World War II emergency. You know, we need to do this not by providing incentives to the corporations that got us into this mess in the first place. We need to do it through the public sector. During World War II, federal government took over and planned a quarter of the manufacturing capacity of the country to turn industry on a dime into the arsenal of democracy to arm the allies against the Axis powers. We need to do nothing less through the public sector now so we can plan the coordinated transition of all our productive systems to clean energy and zero emissions. And you're just not going to get that with a climate plan that is oriented to providing incentives, you know, tax breaks and subsidies to the corporate sector, particularly at a time when we face chronic overproduction. There are not that many profitable investment opportunities in the real economy of production. So you give them money and they invest in financial assets. I mean, that's what we've seen with the monetary expansion. This is sort of a Keynesian approach. The problem is, in a way, it's trickle-down economics as well, because you're counting on the corporations to make the right investments. And without the opportunity to do so, given the nature of this overproduction and stagnation, they're going to put it in financial assets and try to squeeze rents out of the economy rather than increase production. It's just the wrong approach. That's why we call for eco-socialist solutions. And, you know, at this time, the uh, more progressive wing of the climate action movement is calling for what they call the Thrive Agenda, which is $10 billion over 10 years, but it's also oriented toward incentivizing the corporate sector rather than doing it through the public sector. You know, we advocated that with our eco-socialist Green New Deal. Bernie Sanders did to a pretty good extent in his Green New Deal proposal during the campaign. That's where we need to go, and, and I hope the climate movement will begin to realize, because we just can't throw money at corporations saying, build clean energy, and expect them to do it, particularly on a rapid time frame it needs to be done. Bill Resnick for the Old Mole Variety Hour on KBU Radio, 90.7 FM, Portland, Oregon, talking to Howie Hawkins, the Green Party's candidate for president last fall. The Green Party has joined with others in a very realistic plan, considering the grave danger that we face. We've been discussing the Biden jobs plan. It's extremely sensitive to the needs and desires of the corporate and banking apparatus that got us into our uh, current predicament, and shows no sign of leading us out of it. It seems to me that there's emerging a corporate strategy for stopping uncontrolled climate change. And that strategy is technological optimism, that they can develop technologies that would vastly lower greenhouse gas emissions, like there's research into cows that don't fart methane, to 
machines that scrub the air of carbon dioxide and sequester it in deep caverns. There's a lot of money going out right now, even prior to the Biden plan from the Department of Energy and several others. Some of it going to the coal companies, those fine actors, to develop a carbon sequestration and storage. I find the worst part, though, of the plan, and that's likely to get a lot of money in the future, is the investor-owned utilities and their effort to maintain their profits and domination of the electric power industry. The big grid, the big continent-spanning grid that's being touted as smart and effective and efficient and it's a mark of real modernity. It seems to me that that grid will, will never be built, and if it will, it will be immensely expensive and not very reliable, and that we have to really move towards municipal and towards a confederated system of municipalities who are building out their energy system near the point of use, which can, in fact, be far more reliable than the big grid system and cheaper. Discuss that with us. Well, the technological optimism, I think we can be optimistic with the technologies we have. Wind and solar are now cheaper right. than even natural gas, which has been cheap because of this fracking boom. So right there, that's what's cheaper. The problem is the investor-owned utilities, the incumbent energy companies, the coal companies, the oil companies want to keep doing what they're doing because that's how they've been making money. So the investor-owned utilities... You know, they don't want to move off centralized power plants serviced by servo mechanical grids to a smart grid that can accommodate a distributed nature of wind and solar until they wear out the old grid, which is going to make it too late. So that's why power should be a publicly owned utility, planned in the public interest, operated at cost and not for cost plus a profit for the investors. And in terms of carbon capture, we not only have to stop emissions, which this carbon capture from burning fossil fuels, uh, that just captures it and very expensive to pump it into the ground. You've got to build a whole nether infrastructure for that. You know, you've got to pipe it to the right geological formations and so forth. But we can capture a lot of the carbon, because that's the other thing we've got to do. We've got to draw carbon out of the atmosphere, because we're already at a level, 421 parts per million carbon in the atmosphere measured in early April, when climate scientists say we have to get at least below 350 parts per million. So we not only have to stop emitting it, we got to draw it down. The way to do that is reforestation, rebuilding real living soils through regenerative organic agriculture, uh, restoring habitats that are carbon intensive, like wetlands and mangroves. And that can draw a lot of carbon out of the atmosphere without, you know, building machines to grab the carbon and pump it into some cavern and underneath the earth. So I think the technology is there. And, you know, one problem with the International Panel on Climate Change report on 1.5 degrees centigrade or Celsius, to reach that, they assumed a slow drawdown of carbon emissions and then a ramp up of taking carbon out of the atmosphere with technologies they didn't specify they said would be developed in the latter half of this century. That's too late. And that's assuming you know, there's going to be some technology there. We already know that the potential for reforestation around the globe, rebuilding soils and other habitat restoration can draw enough carbon down to get us below 350 parts per million by the end of the century if we start now. Howie Hawkins, one final thing. The question is, out of this Biden plan, which is really just a plan, it has to go through the arduous congressional process of enacting it and appropriating monies for it. There's going to be this enormous fight as to who gets the monies, because it is a lot of money, not as much as the military budget, but it's still huge. And almost every part of the corporate apparatus could, in fact, 
make proposals and make demands and have their congressperson on board, and especially if they're, of course, a Democrat, the powers that be that we won't vote for the plan unless you give us $10 billion to the coal companies for carbon sequestration research. It seems to me that we're now in a struggle for that part of the plan will be enacted. I wonder if the uh, climate action movement, the Greens, and so many others are readying themselves to unite with the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which is actually fairly large now, and their votes are absolutely necessary for Biden to come out of this looking uh, like Roosevelt, which is what he sort of wants to do. What's your sense of the possibilities of actually winning not huge sums, we're not going to do it at once, but at least model programs that could be successful and to show the country that that's the model, the way to uh, meet the threat. Well, the Congressional Black Progressive Caucus is pushing this Thrive Agenda, which is spending more money on these climate actions. You know, my critique of it is it is still relying on the corporate sector. It's a Keynesian approach, not a socialist approach, which would involve economic democracy. So we have the power to actually push this through. And while I'm critical of it, I was out there marching with the Sunrise Kids a few weeks ago when they were demanding $10 trillion over 10 years. But you're right. In Congress, it's going to be a war with all these lobbyists all these special interests. They now have the, uh, what do they call them, where you bargain to get things in your district, member items. Um, That's what they call them in New York State. There's a term for Congress, but they've reintroduced those. So there's going to be a lot of horse trading as this thing is hashed out in the next few months. And it's really the Democrats negotiating with themselves. The Republicans are irrelevant because they're going to say no no matter what. So it's really the Congressional Progressive Caucus dealing with people like Manchin out of West Virginia and Cinema out of Arizona and some other senators who have a lot of support from the fossil fuel industry. So we'll see what's going on. Meanwhile, you know, the climate action movement is focused on stopping new fossil fuel infrastructure, these pipelines like Enbridge Line 3 being upgraded in northern Minnesota, the Dakota Access Pipeline. And they're pipeline fights from the mid-Atlantic to out there in Oregon, you know, that natural gas line to uh, Coos Bay. So we can win those fights. We got Keystone XL stopped. We've won a lot of victories here in New York where I am. And uh, we've expanded the bans on fracking a little bit. We got the Delaware Basin Water Commission to ban fracking in its jurisdiction. And hopefully we can expand those. I know in California, I think they said that after 2024, they're not going to permit more fracking. I think that's what Newsom said, the governor. So I think we can stop doing more harm. Those are victories we can win right now. But in the longer run, you know, the climate action movement needs to focus on system change, not just throwing money through the existing system. In other words, an eco-socialism where we have public enterprises and planning to build this clean energy economy. And without that public direction and coordination and accountability that you get with public enterprise and planning that's democratic, we're going to be in trouble. So we need a system change orientation, not just a, you know, spend more money on it orientation. Howie Hawkins, talk to you again soon. You're doing great work. Thanks a lot. Thank you.